Well, good morning. So glad to see you. Uh, missed you last week. Trust that Seth served you well. If you want to open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 20. I don't know if you'd heard about this robbery that happened late recently. A thief stuck his pistol in man's ribs and said, give me all your money. The man said, uh, you can't do this to me. I'm a senator, U.S. senator. And the man said, well, in that case, give me my money. Uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about God's authority rooted in his ownership of all things. Uh, maybe you remember a few years back, uh, President Obama rather notoriously said, if you've got a business, you didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. And, uh, man, I totally agree. Uh, I just disagree with his next conclusion which was that you didn't build that, the government built that, which I think is just as absurd, in fact, more absurd. <laughs> uh, that's really the heart of this passage that we'll be looking at this morning. It's the heart of what we'll be talking about over the next several weeks. Jesus is not very far away from spending uh, his final days or his final bits of life on the cross for you and I. And uh, before he gets there, he is demonstrating in very clear ways his authority over all things, over his life and over all things. Last week, uh, in the text that I think you looked at with Seth, uh, they asked Jesus, by what authority do you do these things? And uh, I really believe that they were trying to trick him into committing treason. You see, uh, Caesar Tiberius uh, was the Caesar during Jesus' time, and he had actually created a whole new tier of penalties for treason against Caesar. Now, he used to be able to get away with more in Rome, but when Caesar Tiberius came to power, he made it flat-out executable to speak out against Caesar, to claim any authority above Caesar. These were sort of new, new laws put into place in Jesus' lifetime. And this is actually the scheme that they'll employ eventually to have Jesus crucified. They will bring him to Pilate in an attempt to persuade Pilate that Jesus is claiming to have an authority higher than Caesar's. And so when, when uh, they come to Jesus at the beginning of Luke 20 and they say, by what authority are you doing these things? I think one of the things that might be happening is they're trying to trick Jesus, trip Jesus up into saying that he has an authority uh, that is higher than Caesar's for then he could be executed by Rome. So they ask him what authority uh, he has for doing these things. Jesus asked them... Uh, is there any indication in your past experiences uh, that would prove that you're actually interested in the answer to this question? Are you actually interested in, in authority or are you simply interested in trip, tripping me up? They're unable to answer. Uh, they're unable to answer him. He says, neither will I give you an answer, but then tells a parable. And in this parable, we see Jesus giving them a very clear answer about his authority. And that's where we're going to read this morning, beginning in verse 9. And he began to tell the, parable, tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. Much better. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. 
And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Jesus is giving them an indirect answer, a very clear answer about the authority by which he operates. His father owns the vineyard called Israel. And his father had entrusted this vineyard to these wicked tenants, these rulers of Israel, and they refuse to give him the fruit from the fields that he is letting them live on. So after sending a series of messengers and seeing each one of those messengers beaten and returned in shame, the father sends his only son to go to these leaders, to go to this vineyard and ask again for the fruit of his planting. That's the authority Jesus has. This, the, the Gospels, it just occurred to me uh, this week, the Gospels are like the best episode of Undercover Boss ever. <laughs> like all the time. I mean, Jesus is just like, 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 they're like, what authority do you have? He, well, I, I kind of made all this. So the, the Gospels are the, you know, the best episode of, of Undercover Boss ever, only the, the beard is real in this particular case. This text is giving us a front row seat to what is simultaneously a tragedy and a triumph. Folks, people are going to have the vineyard ripped out from under them. Uh, unfaithful, arrogant, prideful people are going to lose what had been theirs for thousands of years. And that is hard to watch. Um, on the other hand, others, as it says, I think in verse 16, others are going to be given this vineyard. And that is a triumph. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, the Bible describes this elsewhere in the book of Romans as grafting, grafting in the pruning of unfruitful branches and the grafting in of wild branches to make this old tree fruitful again and pruning sounds very you know simple unless you're the thing being pruned and that's what we're going to see happen to the leaders of israel over the next week over the next few decades culminating in 70 a.d when the temple will be destroyed and the opportunity for formal worship under old testament judaic law will absolutely be lost and as that happens God is bringing a new people into the vineyard. And most of you, I think, are those new people being brought into the vineyard. So it is, it is glorious. It is gruesome. It is a hard thing to see. And I'm also extremely thankful. So imagine this. Angela and I are, uh, are uh, planning on renting for the time being as we get up here to make sure we like you guys. Uh, that's not why. That's not why. Uh, we like you guys. Uh, we're planning on renting for the time being, and uh, just imagine we're driving through a very nice neighborhood, uh, you know, just, just sort of optimistically thinking, you never know, and uh, 
and um, someone stops us. Uh, they're in front of this huge mansion, and they stop us as we're driving down the road and tell us to pull into this long, winding driveway. And uh, we pull in, and uh, he says, come on, come on, get out. I want to talk to you. And, and he says, who are you? And I'm like, well, my name's Chris. This is Angela. And, and uh, he's like, I have a deal for you. Uh, I, I can't live in this mansion any longer. I'm, I'm moving away for the time being. Um, and I would, I would like you to stay here free of charge. Uh, all, I, all I ask, by the way, if you know of anybody, uh, all, all I would ask is that, um, that while I'm away, I, I planted this peach tree in the backyard when my daughter was born. And all I would ask is that, uh, is that every year when these peaches are due, when they're ready, would you just take a bushel of them, set them aside, I'll send someone to pick them up. Said the, the, actually, the reason why this house is available, why this deal is available, is I had some tenants here before, and they lived here for free, and they really enjoyed all of the things that I have in this house, but they would never give me the fruit from that fruit tree. They, would, they, they somehow felt like that, that even that was too much, that they didn't have enough, and so that they would take that fruit as well. So I'd just like to extend this deal to you. Do you think you'd like to live in this mansion for free, assuming that you would just hand me a bushel of peaches once a year. Well, Angela and I, you know, our jaws would drop. We'd be humble, we'd be grateful, but maybe not for long. That's the message this morning. You need to be prepared for how quickly our sinful hearts start taking God's grace for granted And start thinking of all of God's gifts as things that we own and not him. That's exactly what happened to these folks who were kicked off of this vineyard. They'd grown to assume that this gracious gift of the Lord was actually because of their own merit. Was actually because of their own worth. They began to see their occupancy of this vineyard as an expression of their ownership. That they owned this vineyard, and therefore any claim that the person who planted the vineyard had on it was illegitimate. So yeah, Angela and I would be stunned. We'd be overwhelmed. We'd be humbled at this gracious offer. But here's what I want you to remember. I don't think we would be there for long until we began to take that for granted and then began to see it as somehow something we deserved. Isn't that disgusting? Isn't that scary? And I'll tell you why it's scary. Because you've been given the vineyard. And the last folks who had the vineyard turned an expression of grace and kindness into grounds for boasting. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Paul actually is very concerned that the Gentiles, after being grafted in to this vineyard, will quickly turn it into a grounds for boasting. So in Romans 11, he says, do not be arrogant toward the the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness 
and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. First Corinthians 10 reminds us that these sorts of episodes, we look back and see how God had dealt with Israel, how, how God had it ultimately removed these people from the vineyard. First Corinthians 10 says that these things were written for our instruction. Uh, later in that same chapter, Paul says this, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Uh, Hebrews three twelve has a similar thing to say to us this morning. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is simply this. God has been incredibly gracious to you. He's offered you. He's extended the gospel to you. He's, he's planted you in this amazing vineyard. Uh, vineyard is uh, planted in a vineyard you did, or being given a vineyard you did not plant is Old Testament speak for grace. That's the Old Testament way of talking about grace. You've been given something you did not plant. God has been extremely gracious to you, and I am concerned for you and for myself that we need to be reminded that these things that he's given us are uh, an expression of his kindness and that we are renters and not owners. That's the problem. That's the problem that my wife and I would have, even in that incredible opportunity were to fall before us, that we'd have to be on the lookout for, is that even in that instance when someone's lending us their property that we did not deserve, we did not build, we did not buy, that even in that instance there's something in our hearts that would turn that incredible gift to something we felt like we deserved and ultimately owned. That's what we'll be talking about for the next several weeks. Are you acting like a renter or are you acting like an owner? You know, everybody I talk to is so kind and eager for us to get here and to, to get into a home and so on and so forth. But every one of y'all is asking me, you know, where are you going to live? You know, where you live in this area is a big deal. Whether you rent or own in this area is a big deal. But over the next few weeks, we're going to be asking the bigger question. You haven't, have you, over the last few years or weeks even, begun to see this life as something you own? Begun to forget that you, at the best, the best you could ever do is to rent your little place in this world and that you owe all that you have? to God at all times. I thought about some of the ways that I, uh, I have seen myself begin to act like an owner when I am, in fact, merely a renter. And one of the, the, the most obvious ways is just the decision that I'm going to decide how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to decide how I'm going to live my life based on what I feel, based on what I prefer, based on what I want. Paul reminds us that we are not our own. We were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Friends, if you're here this morning, I want you to understand something. Your body isn't your body. It's God's body. He owns it. Your taste buds aren't your taste buds. They're his. He owns them. Your stomach isn't your stomach. It's his. And I could keep going down and talk about human sexuality and say, that's God's. So one of the questions we'd ask is, are you, are you demonstrating in your life through the, the way you use your body 
that, that you're renting and that you're obeying the one who gave it to you? Or are you demonstrating in your life that, that you know, this is mine. This is, I, do what, I do what I want with this thing because it's mine. Do you look down on people? Do you use your morality as a means of elevating yourself before others? Friends, it would be very easy after walking in God's wisdom for a number of years, after listening to his word and experiencing the truth of his word, be very easy to begin to think, I did that. I did that. And begin to look at other people who don't have a biblical morality as well established as yours and begin to say, well, they're just not much. They just don't have much. I look down on them. That would be someone who is living in an ownership mentality. You didn't build that. Uh, there's, a self, there's a fierce impulse in the human heart to turn success into self-congratulations. And many of you are quite successful. Um, are you turning that success into sort of a self-congratulatory pat on the back? Here's a good one. Uh, are you fearful of a change in the status quo? One of the primary manifestations of these Pharisees and scribes and high priests was this fear over the changes that Jesus would bring to the kingdom that they'd built. Friends, if you have kind of an ownership mentality, you're afraid of change. You're afraid of a disruption of the status quo because you've got so much invested in this little kingdom that you've built. Do you freak out when you're not in control? Do you give free reign to your appetites? Are you stingy with God? Right? I have this experiment that I do sometimes with people in biblical counseling. I say, okay, uh, you've got a breath right now. Take that breath in and take it all the way in. Breathe really, really deeply. Now, don't give that breath away. Hold it. Just hold that breath. That's your breath. You own that breath. Don't let that breath go. Keep, keep holding it. Don't let it go. And eventually they get really uncomfortable, start to pass out. Sometimes I let them, depending. <laughs> they talk too much. I just need a break. Uh, go get a cup of coffee. We say that to illustrate that you were not designed to own. You were designed to rent. And if you think your money, friends, is any different than those breaths, you're wrong. God gave you your money to hold on to and let go of. To hold on to and let go of. And if you're trying to hold on to it, it's going to be the same result as the guy who's holding on to his breath for too long. Holding on to things is a demonstration that you think you own all this. And you don't. Do you fear losing the thing you had no idea you wanted until God gave it to you? You know, there was a moment when you didn't have this thing you love so much. You didn't even know necessarily that you wanted it or that you would love it this much. I think of this way about my wife. I, 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 she's the, the, the biggest blessing in my life. I, if she passed away, if I lost her, I would just, I, I would move into the woods, grow a massive beard, start a cult among squirrels. I would just go crazy. I, I, I don't know what I would do, but the truth is, is that that's not, that's not an irrelevant question to me. I've, I've been married 22 years. Am I going to get another 22 years? I don't know. And I could live this life in fear of that amazing thing that's been given to me going away. 
Or I can say, I'm, I'm renting. I'm not owning. And learn even in that amazing blessing, not only to inhale, but also to exhale. Not only to take in, but also to let go. And I think the biggest way that we would find ourselves acting like owners and not renters, one of the biggest tells would be this simple question. Do you avoid the landlord? I grew up in a home where we were told not to answer the phone at certain hours of the evening because it would almost certainly be a bill collector. And so our strategy was to not answer the phone because we owed somebody something that we couldn't pay. Friends, have you ever thought about the possibility that the reason that you struggle with consistency in your times alone with God, the struggle in your consistency of seeking Him out, is because you haven't made peace with just this simple truth that He's the owner and you're the renter, that you owe Him everything, and that's really hard for you just to settle on and hold on to and trust because you've gotten deceived and begin to think that you're the owner and not the renter? Well, God in his mercy sends us messengers. That's what Jesus' parable is really about. Jesus is telling these people who have this owner mentality when they are indeed renters, the Father has been faithful to send messengers to you. And I want to tell you that, and we'll see in a moment, that they, they, these, they didn't respond well of these messengers. But as I said before, these things were written for our instruction. And I have hope that you will respond well to the messengers that God is sending into your life to tell you that you are renter and not an owner. If you think about it, that's what God does all the time. He sends messengers into your life to tell you, hey, you're not in charge. Tim Keller said, life is a messenger that constantly comes to you and says, you're not in control. There are all sorts of messengers that have come into your life. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe maybe it's your children. Maybe some relationship in your life is communicating to you, you really don't know what you're doing. You really can't do this on your own. Maybe the church has been a way in which God has communicated to you, hey, there's something going on bigger than you, and you need to be about that. And yeah, I know it's hard because you're not, it doesn't all work the way you want it to, and it doesn't all go the way you'd like to see it go. But you know what? Deal with it. You're a renter, not an owner. Maybe you've gotten sick. Maybe you've had chronic pain. Maybe you realize this body is not forever. I am not going to hold on to my health. I can't hold on to my health. Maybe it's some unfulfilled longing, this thing that you've longed for over and over again and, and just always struggled to take hold of. Point is, is that all of these messengers seem to be saying what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who sees anything different in you? And what do you have that you did not receive? Then if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? These messengers are coming into our life over and over again and telling us, this isn't your stuff. This isn't your life. This isn't even your breath. The master theologian, Gnarls Barkley, uh, in the song Crazy says, come on now, who do you think you are? Ha, 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 bless your soul. You really think you're in control? Well, I think you're crazy. That's the truth, friends. You're not in control. You don't own. You rent. 
And this lack of control shows up everywhere in our lives. Well, you can respond one of two ways to seeing this truth. You can pay the rent or you can pull a gun. You can pay the rent or you can pull a gun. Everybody in this room, no matter whether you have a relationship with Jesus or not, is a renter or not an owner. Everybody in this room has been given an incredible vineyard upon which to live. God has come this morning and said, Hey, rent's due. And friends, whatever he would ask of you would be entirely reasonable. In fact, merciful. Whatever he would ask of you would be well within his rights as owner. Now, if God gives you the faith to see him as an owner, the owner, and to see yourself as a renter, then he will give you the faith to give, and he will give you the faith to serve, and he will give you the faith to risk, and he will give you the faith to take initiative in relationships, and he will give you the faith to take risks in conversations about the gospel. If you don't think that you own your reputation, if it's just a gift from God, if you don't think you own the approval of your friends, it's just a gift from God. If you don't think you own your finances, they're just a gift from God. If you understand that all these things that God has brought into your life are simply meant to be let go of again as a renter and not an owner, then when God calls you to do whatever, even today, when there's a knock on the door and he says, I'd like you to fill in the blank, give, serve, teach, whatever, God gives you faith, you'll say, okay. Yes, sir. It's my privilege. You've let me have this incredible gift of the gospel. I'm happy to serve you and give this back to you. But if God does not give you the faith, let me tell you how this works. The first thing you'll do is you'll turn all of this richness in your life into self-congratulations and self-sufficiency. I want you to think about this for a minute. This is going to get complicated. It's just, it's just fantastic to me, and I just there's no easy way to say it. Not only are you dependent on God to give you everything, but you are dependent on Him to give you the faith to not twist the goodness that He's given you into prideful self-sufficiency. Only God's ongoing grace can keep us from turning past grace into a reason for boasting. Now, this is the complicated part. We need present grace to help us respond rightly to past grace. And if God gives present grace that keeps us from being presumptuous of past grace, then we will need future grace to keep us from responding sinfully to this present grace. Make it simple. If God ever stopped giving you fresh grace, your whole faith would shrivel up into a big sin ball. We are constantly dependent on God to give us faith to respond to His goodness well. And what we see in this text is that God did not give these folks a faith to respond to all of the goodness in the right way. So what we would need to do right now as we're working our way through this text is just stop and say, Lord, 
not only thank you, but help. Not only thank you, but more please. Not necessarily more blessings, more grace, more help to see these blessings with an eye of faith, to not turn all of the amazing things you've done into reason for self-boasting. You know, we live in this moment in history where, where institutions like the church or hospitals or schools are just kind of there. We're very far removed from the, our forefathers that had to lay down their lives to build these things. Now we just see them as kind of like they're here. You know, this church is here. The hospital's here. The school's here. And then we walk into these things that we did not build and we start laying expectations for how they should look. Based on what? We didn't build them. Well, what do we know about these things? Friends, it is extremely easy, especially in our youth, to take all of the things God has done in our lives for granted. If you grew up in a Christian home, if you grew up with parents that loved you in an intact home, uh, even if you grew up just with a clarity and understanding of truth, that has helped you in your life in ways you can't imagine. So much of your life is built on just these quiet moments of God's kindness in your younger days. And now everything you have, let's be clear, you didn't build that. You didn't. Now, the government didn't either. But you didn't build that. He did. That's his. And you need the faith to respond to the landlord rightly. That's where the nation of Israel went wrong. They took mercy as a sign of their worthiness. They took their ethnicity as a sign of their specialness. They took their blessings as an opportunity to boast. So a couple of things to conclude with. Number one, these people were trying to trick Jesus into committing treason, but that's exactly what they were doing. Treason is disavowing and turning against the rightful authority in a land. So these people were trying to trick Jesus into committing treason while they themselves were committing treason against the most high God. And let's be clear. Acting like an owner when you are a renter is not a cute oops. It's real sin. It's high treason. It's looking at the God of the universe, the only one who makes anything from scratch, and saying, I disavow your authority and I substitute it with mine. So they were trying to trick Jesus into committing treason. They were committing treason. If we aren't being renters, then we are committing treason. Number two, we become the least creaturely when we worship and serve the creator. We'll talk more about this next week. We all wish secretly that we could be like God and living forever. We wish that we could hold on to God's blessings forever. We wish that we could own all of those things. Ironically, when we worship and serve God the way he wants us to, we become less temporary because he gives us an inheritance that lasts beyond time and space. When we become children of the Father who owns everything, we actually become less creaturely 
and more connected to the creator. Number three, do not make giving out to be a trifle. It isn't a trifle. It matters way more than you know. Your ability to be reminded on a daily basis that you are not an owner but a renter is rooted directly in the spiritual discipline of giving. If you're struggling with the question of owning and renting, if you're looking in your life and saying, man, I have a lot of ownership attitudes, I'll tell you, there's a discipline that God gives you that is meant to steer your heart. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Giving isn't a side issue. Giving will help your heart become um, honest with yourself and honest with the realities of this world. There's this old Western movie called Shenandoah. And in it is one of the biggest heresies of any of the old movies. And I hate that it's Jimmy Stewart who does the heresy because I love Jimmy Stewart. He's trying to keep his family out of the Civil War, and uh, his wife is dead, and uh, they're gathered around the supper table, and there's one empty chair there where his wife would sit, and Jimmy Stewart says, now your mother wanted all of you, I wish I could do the, uh, the impersonation, but uh, your mother wanted all of you raised as good Christians, and I might not be able to do that thorny job as well as she could, but I can do a little something about your manners. He gestures that they should all bow their head, and he continues, Lord, we cleared this land, we plowed it, we sowed it, we harvested it. We cooked the harvest, and we wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be eaten if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same. Friends, I hope that doesn't sound familiar to any of the attitudes that have crept into your heart and don't think you're above it you're not well throughout the course of this movie we see one tragedy strike this man after another the youngest son is mistaken as a soldier and captured another son and his wife are murdered by marauders a third son is shot by an overzealous sentryman and when we next see mr anderson that's jimmy stewart's character at the supper table there are four more empty places at his table as he bows down to pray his ritual prayer. But this time we hear a quiver in his voice. We hear his voice break when he comes to the awful realization that he is not in control, that he is not the master of his own destiny. And as he recites this heretical prayer that he prayed earlier, his voice breaks and trails off as he says, if we hadn't done it all ourselves. And he can't continue because this man who thought he was an owner is beginning to realize that he is a renter. So this morning I want to ask you to make a resolution in your faith. I want to ask you that you would actually make in this morning a pivotal, a pivotal choice to to renounce, to repent of a renter's mentality. Understand how easy that it's crept in to your faith, to your finances, to your family. And I want you this morning to actually say, I'm sorry, Lord. 
I've let this become in a million different ways that maybe I don't even know about an opportunity for me to boast in what I've done when I haven't done anything. I'm just a lucky dude who got put on the right land. For some of you, this may be the very first time you've ever heard this kind of talk, that God owns everything and that, that he is in charge and that you owe him everything. And it may, feel you, it may make you feel guilty. It may make you feel scared. Well, here's the words of comfort I would leave you. Jesus was killed by these wicked tenants. In reality, it was their sin and our sin of ownership that sent the owner of all things to the cross. And that in his death and resurrection, the owner of all things paid for your treason and my treason. He paid for your mistaken, prideful, self-congratulatory expressions of how you've arrived. You know how he did that? By surrendering all that he had in perfect obedience. God asked these people for some fruit. By the way, that's all God's asking you for. Just some fruit. And they freaked out. God asked Jesus for his life. And he obeyed. And it's in his obedience that we have the opportunity to understand who we are in him and to see God not only as owner of all things, but as worthy to be the owner of all things. Let me lead us in prayer. Bow your heads for a moment. Let's take a moment to speak to the Lord about these things. I asked you to actually make a conscious choice this morning to repent of previous attitudes, maybe attitudes you carried in the service this morning of ownership, however those appear in your life. Maybe you're consciously telling God no. Maybe you're just really, really good at telling yourself yes. Maybe you are holding your morality out as a way of standing above your fellow man when it was God's gracious gift to give you that sense. So as a leaders in prayer, I'm serious. Let's unite this morning with the intention to be fellow renters, glad renters of God's good vineyard. Lord, we come to you this morning to do business with you confessing in a million ways, many of which we don't see, this tendency to turn your goodness into something that somehow we claim responsibility for. Uh, we, we are so prone to pride and self-congratulations and self-sufficiency. Jesus, you alone have room for boasting. You alone have the rightful claim to ownership, but you became a servant. You, you, you had equality with God, something to be grasped, but you did not. You became a servant and you humbled yourself to death, even death on a cross. And Lord, we are so prone to this that we need grace 
upon grace. We need, we need your goodness, and then we need grace. And then we need your goodness, and then we need grace. We are, we are just absolutely, utterly dependent on your mercy, not only to give us that what we need, but to, but to help us to not see, and to not twist that into some form of ownership when it isn't. And Father, this is a simple message, and it's a simple text. And we are weak right now. And we are calling out to the Father of all good things to give us the grace to be good stewards of your gifts. You have placed us in this vineyard, the gospel, this church, this city, our families, of, of the education you've provided, the jobs that you've given us, and the the way we see things, our physical health, it's all from you. Please, Lord, give us the grace to gladly give you the fruit of that which you have planted and cultivated and cared for. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who is tempted to postpone or delay or turn these thoughts into something that they will look at later. Lord, please help them to see you are kind. You are also severe. Give them faith, Lord. Give us faith, Lord, this morning to respond to your word. Jesus, thank you for being our salvation. Thank you for obeying. We count your obedience as the righteousness we need to approach the Father, but also count your obedience as the righteousness we need to become more faithful. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.